హలో లిజనర్స్ వెల్కమ్ టు ద ఫస్ట్ ఎపిసోడ్ ఆఫ్ సీజన్ వన్ ఆఫ్ ఇతిహాస అన్ ఇండిక్ హిస్టరీ పాడ్కాస్ట్ అండ్ యూఆర్ లిజనింగ్ టు నరేంద్ర విక్రమ్ ఇఫ్ యూ హెవెంట్ ఆల్రెడీ హర్డ్ ద ఇంట్రో ఆఫ్ ద షో ఐ వుడ్ హైలీ రికమెండ్ ఇట్ ద టాపిక్ ఆఫ్ టుడేస్ ఎపిసోడ్ ఇస్ ద ఇన్ఫెమస్ బ్యాటిల్ ఆఫ్ ద లికోటర్ విచ్ వాస్ ద బిగినింగ్ ఆఫ్ ది ఎండ్ ఫర్ ద మైటీ విజయనగర ఎంపైర్ ద లికోటర్ ఇస్ విజయనగర్స్ వాటర్ మూమెంట్ and a watershed event in the Indian history. Let me start the episode with a quote by Nobel laureate V.S. Naipaul from his book A Million Mutinies. I think every Indian should make the pilgrimage to the site of the capital of Vijayanagara Empire just to see what the invasion of India led to. They will see a totally destroyed town. Religious wars are like that. People who see that might understand what the centuries of plunder and slaughter meant. War isn't a game. When you lost that kind of war, your towns were destroyed. The people who built the towns were destroyed. You're left with a headless population. That's where the idea of modern India starts from. This is what Mr. Naipaul had to say in his book. Vijayanagara's majestic capital was ruined beyond redemption in the year of 1565. Today, you know it as Hampi. To be precise, in the local tongue, it's referred to as Halu Hampi. It means ruined Hampi or wretched Hampi. When a Kannadiga who knows the significance of Hampi utters those words, Halu Hampi, if one is perceptive enough, you should see a tinge of melancholy mixed with warmth. Vijayanagara Empire's Waterloo Mint had arrived finally on the open fields of Tallikota. The usually agreed upon date is 23rd of January 1565, a dry winter day. Some historians claim it to be on the January of 26th, which would be really ironic as that's the day celebrated as India's Republic Day. For now, let's run with the most accepted date to avoid some heartburn. On the January 22nd night, Vijayanagara was a mighty empire. And indeed, by the end of 23rd, it was a mere shadow of its earlier self. The idea of Vijayanagara was hanging by a thread. When something so big falls, not gradually, but so fast, there are usually not one or two, but multiple shockwaves that end up rippling through the fabric of space and time. for a civilization and a nation the fact that many locals in karnataka still refer to it as halu hampi is an indication of the ripple cruising through time and the reason we are talking about this 455 years 3 months after the event is also the same ripple the trauma of hampi's destruction still silently lingers in the hearts and minds of many people in the south It's like a heart aching for a lover that's separated by time. Events like the Lakota tend to alter the entire course of history like one cannot imagine. Republics, empires, civilizations, city-states, nation-states have always risen and fallen over thousands of years. The fall is usually gradual and slow. Empires rotting away to the tune of their own unique half-life. Let's take the example of Rome, one of the mightiest and advanced civilizations the world had ever seen. It had a jolly good run for approximately 1200 years. 
but it took around 500 years for it to fully collapse after the seeds of rot were sown similar rot to afflicted vijayanagara silently and took it all in the end now that we have a sense of impact this battle had let's roll together in the battlefields of talikota now known as talikoti a town that is equidistant from both hampi and raichur probably a tad bit closer to raichur and a 9 to 10 hour drive from bangalore as per many historical sources the battle had reached fever pitch at rakkasagi tangadigi and decisively ended there these are two small villages 16 kilometers apart on the banks of krishna river this is one of the reasons why battle of the likota is also referred to in many sources and discourses as rakasa tangadi even though both the villages are almost 45 kilometers far from the likota this name was even immortalized in 2019 play by the name rakasa tangadi by the veteran actor and theater artist late girish karnad this play was a translation from the kannada original rakshasa tangadi now let's look at all the main characters and combatants in this epic battle on one side you have the vijayanagara empire's imperial forces being led by the 75 plus year old regent aliya ramaraya his two brothers venkatadri raya and tirumala raya and on the opposite side you have a sort of mahagathbandhan or a holy alliance of the five deccan sultans hussein nizam shah one of ahmednagar burham imad shah of berar ali barit shah one of bidar ali adil shah of bijapur and ibrahim qutub shah wali of golconda the sultan of berar can be discounted from the battle for all practical purposes as he was a four year old at the time of the battle and was only providing nominal forces as part of the alliance the interesting thing is this coalition had support of the mudhol jagirs ghorpadi clan of the marathas mudhol is a small principality in now bagalkot district of karnataka so there was this contingent of marathas numbering in few thousands fighting alongside the five deccan sultans in talikota on that fateful day it's important to understand that marathas were made up of different dynastical clans and at that time weren't exactly a political force to reckon with they were more like independent feudal lords who worked as professional mercenaries for one prevailing power or the other the 16th century deccan and south was a very strange place a very politically and culturally dynamic age in spite of all the massive fault lines between hindus and muslims Again this aspect of Deccan history is out of scope of this episode and will be dealt with in detail in one of the future episodes So the Muslim coalition armies met on the plains of Bijapur and headed towards the Vijayanagara borders in the end of 1564 Interestingly a few months before the march of sultans itself Ramaraya was in possession of the crucial intelligence from his spies in the court of Bijapur about the coalition plan to head towards the south by end of november or early december it was not taken for granted that there was an impending war on the horizon 
So on the auspicious Vijaya Dasami, day of 15th September 1564, Ramaraya announced to his nobles and vassals at court in Hampi to gather their forces without delay. The Muslim coalition reached the fortress town of Tarlikota near Krishna River on 26th December 1564. Ramaraya was prepared and confident, maybe a little overconfident too. He first sent his brother Tirumalaraya with a large force to guard the crucial fords on Krishna River and prevent the enemy from crossing it. Then he sends his other brother Venkatadri Raya and he himself finally comes up with the rest of the forces of the empire. On 29 December, Qutub Shah and Nizam Shah, who were great friends with each other, decide to lead their divisions to clash with Tirumalaraya's division. This initial battle leads to a huge defeat of the Sultan Dio, who flee the field after losing thousands of men. The Sultans, now expecting a ferocious counter-attack from Vijayanagara forces, decide to use stratagem and deceit to delay the counter-attack. It was pretty much taken for granted that without all five of them fighting in unison, they don't stand a chance against Ramaraya. They desperately needed to buy time to regroup and adapt their battle formations. So Nizam Shah and Qutub Shah send out ambassadors to parley with Ramaraya to keep stalling him from launching the counter-attack on the now vulnerable flanks of the coalition. At the same time, Adil Shah sends out false feelers to Ramaraya's camp, indicating that he has decided to be neutral and would not take part in any hostilities being initiated by the alliance. Adil Shah's ruse was extremely successful and Ramaraya takes the bait. Again, there's a reason why Ramaraya believes Adil Shah's ruse. Both these ruses ended up delaying the counter-attacks on the weakened flanks of the coalition. This will turn out to be a fatal indecision on part of Ramaraya. Finally, all this wasted time through the month of January does not just lead to a total loss of initiative by Vijayanagara forces, but also succeed in converting an assured victory into a disadvantageous ceasefire. This gives Sultans ample time to regroup and adapt their forces and tactics to the changed situation. Yet another ruse was played by Burhan Imad Shah of Berar, who initiates a full-scale attack on Tirumalaraya's division guarding the ford on the river. Tirumala gives a ferocious response to what looked like a premature lone wolf attack by the Berar Sultan and ends up routing Sultan's forces on the field. Unbeknownst to the Raya brothers, Berar's lone wolf attack was a successful diversionary tactic that succeeds in diverting the attention of Tirumalaraya, which draws his forces away from guarding one of the crucial river forts. Using this distraction, the remaining four sultans who had fully regrouped by now cross over stealthily from the north bank to the south bank of the Krishna river and now directly face Ramaraya's forces who are caught by surprise. Finally, on the ill-fated day of 23rd January of 1565, the Vijayanagara forces and the coalition forces face off on the plains near the southern bank of the Krishna river 
which look over the two villages of Rakasi and Tangadigi on the northern bank. Some sources say almost a million soldiers took part in this epic battle, though it might be an exaggeration on the part of then contemporary sources, and the best estimate was probably around half a million soldiers. The numbers advantage was clearly with Vijayanagara. The first attack on the coalition forces was launched by Venkatadri Raya, who was leading the right flank of the Vijayanagara forces on the division led by the Sultan of Berar, Ali Barit Shah I. Venkatadri's artillery and matchlock contingents initially softened the Berar sources and then Venkatadri's cavalry charged close through Barid's forces and routed them. While Venkatadri's forces were battling the Berar forces, Ramaraya's and Tirumala forces kept pounding the Nizam Shah and Kutub Shah's forces, waging mini battles within the bigger battle. There comes a point within the battle wherein Kutub Shah's forces start getting pushed back and are slowly retreating. Nizam Shah's forces themselves, which were in pitch battle with Ramaraya's forces, face a really strong push. But still, he is able to reinforce the other sultans to maintain the coalition's overall battle formations. It is worth pointing out that even at this point, Vijayanagara was still in control of the battle and had the initiative. But that was only until the final ace card was played by the coalition. And it was treachery. The coalition signals to the two Muslim commanders in service of the Vijayanagara Empire who were leading two large divisions of the cavalry to execute their secret plan. These two divisions that were still in the rear of Ramaraya, probably as a rearguard or reserve cavalry, launch a full-scale attack on their own forces and take possession of some of the Vijayanagara's crucial artillery units. This effectively sandwiches the Vijayanagara center led by Ramaraya between the Nizam Shah's frontal push and the rear attack of its own rogue commanders. Understandably, this leads to significant confusion and chaos in the ranks of Ramaraya's forces. At this point, few of the artillery shells land near the elephant that's carrying Ramaraya and he falls to the ground. It's not clear from the sources if the artillery shells that dislodged Ramaraya were fired by the hijacked artillery positions or were the ones fired by Nizam Shah's forces. Other versions on this aspect say the expert Turkish gunners in service of Nizam Shah and other sultans stuffed copper coins in the cannons and fired them into the opposition forces with devastating effect. And supposedly one of those shrapnels hits Ramaraya which might have injured him seriously and hence sealing the fate of the battle. But the overall consensus is, at this point Nizam Shah's elite forces dashed through the lines of Ramaraya's center that was earlier weakened due to, due to the confusion, quickly grabbed Ramaraya and he's taken to the Nizam Shah's camp in chains. At the camp, Nizam Shah condescendingly asks Ramaraya if he was doing fine and offers him a seat. Sources say Ramaraya points to his forehead thereby hinting that it was his fate which put him in his hands. Here Ramaraya is offered by Nizam Shah 
the option of embracing Islam to save his own life. It is said, Ramaraya responds to that offer by crying out Narayana Krishna Bhagavanta. It means the Lord Narayana and Krishna are the end of his journey. At this point, Nizam Shah has his executioners quickly slit the throat of Ramaraya on the advice of his court Maulanas and his doctor. The Maulanas supposedly claimed there was a risk of his coalition partner Adil Shah not agreeing to this assassination, considering the fact that Adil Shah was not only good friends with the Raya, but also the symbolically adopted son of Ramaraya and his wife. Such were the strange times of Deccan. So the execution was carried out without delay. Raya's had chopped off, put up on a spike and displayed on the battlefield to the horror of Vijayanagara's forces. This invariably leads to even more confusion, sapping all motivation to fight and the Raya center starts to retreat and take flight. While all this was happening in Nizam Shah's camp and in the center of the field, Venkatadri Raya's Forces faced stiff counter-attack from the now-combined forces of Qutub Shah, Nizam Shah and Barit Shah. Venkatadri's forces are routed in this attack and Venkatadri himself is killed. Tirumalaraya tries to rally the fleeing forces and bolster the Vijayanagara center, while the Adil Shah's reserve forces that were lying in wait all along now launch an all-out attack on the remaining center. Tirumala at this point realizes that it is futile to hold the center. Since Vijayanagara's core artillery positions that were being manned by the Portuguese mercenaries were all but exhausted and silenced. And he had no option but to accept the route and flee the field as Adil Shah's forces had already outflanked him and were almost on the rear of, of the center. Tirumala Raya is the only brother among the three who survives the battle, but ends up losing his eye, supposedly due to a splinter or an arrow. This is confirmed by both European and Telugu vernacular sources. There is a joke by contemporary Telugu poet on Tirumala during his reign as the king, which proves his being blinded in an eye post this battle. The poet says, your god Shiva himself, when you sit along with your wife, and your Sukracharya seated alone, being in either case the all-knowing. The point of the joke consists in this, the comparison is to two people who are all wise, which is a compliment the author obviously intended to pay. Siva and his wife constitute one body with the ordinary two eyes and the third eye in the forehead peculiar to Shiva. Tirumala having only one eye and his wife too, Sukra was blinded of one eye when he attempted to prevent Mahabali from gifting away the three feet of earth prayed for by the dwarf Vishnu. And so ends the battle of Tallikota. After the total rout of the Vijayanagara forces on the fields of Raka Satangati, tens and thousands of forces of Vijayanagara are butchered by the now bloodthirsty coalition forces. Some sources say around 100,000 soldiers were butchered in this pursuit that followed again which needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. There was a great confusion and no attempt was made to fall back, regroup and take fresh positions closer to the city. 
Tirumalarai himself rushes to the capital city of Hampi, empties the state treasury instead, loads all of it on 600 to 900 elephants, and he decides to go down south along with the young captive child emperor Sadasivaraya and the royal entourage. So Tirumalaraya decides to go to the Vijayanagara stronghold of Penakonda, now Andhra Pradesh. This also is closer to another stronghold, Chandragiri Fort, which happens to be the native power base of Ramaraya brothers. Meanwhile in Hampi, first there is a sense of disbelief when its citizens see the defeated soldiers streaming back into the city. It is too much of a psychological shock for most of Hampi's citizens to witness such a thing. The impossible had happened and the unassailable Hampi had fallen. There was never a plan B to fall back on. Most of the rich who had carts, horses and elephants flee the city with their wealth and the few unfortunate who chose to trust in their prayers instead were robbed, raped, murdered by hordes of robbers and bandits. Three days later, when the sultans entered the city that lay unobstructed, a thorough and systematic pillage and sack of the beautiful city is ordered. Every temple except the majestic Virupaksha temple, house and palace in a city as big as Rome is plundered, burnt and razed to the ground. Untold riches are dug up and taken away by the soldiers of the sultans. To give you a perspective, it, ta- it takes the sultans almost six months to reduce Hampi to rubble. The enemy soldiers give a new meaning to the phrase soldiers of fortune. Every enemy soldier becomes so unimaginably rich, even after sultans hoard away their share of booty on elephants from the destroyed city. The people hiding in many of the caves around Hampi are ambushed, hunted down by the enemy soldiers. In some caves, the soldiers themselves were ambushed either by armed citizens or defeated soldiers hiding in them along with their families and the wealth. Many enemy soldiers finally give up the effort of cave robbing due to the fear of being ambushed. In the end, thousands of Hampi citizens are massacred, enslaved as sex slaves for harems of sultans and slave markets run by Islamic rulers of that age. Robert Sol in his 1901 classic Vijayanagara, The Forgotten Empire, sums up the tragic fate handed to the magical city of Hampi in these words. With fire and sword, with crowbars and axes, they carried on their destruction. Never perhaps in the history of the world had such havoc been wrought and wrought so suddenly on so splendid a city. Teeming with a wealthy and industrious population in the full plenitude of prosperity in one day and on the next ceased, pillaged and reduced to ruins amid scenes of savage massacre and horrors beggaring description. This was the description by Robert Sowell. While Hampi as such was reduced to rubble, Vijayanagara Empire continued to exist for the next 82 years. The usual narrative of Vijayanagara Empire ending after the Likota isn't entirely false. 
but it's much more nuanced than that it is important to make the distinction that vijayanagar's ability to call the geopolitical shots with impunity in the deccan was over after the rout but it was still a force till early 1620s at least and the alliance of the sultans itself after the lakota didn't survive too long their old rivalries resurfaced again and the alliance bit the dust we will delve into the post the lakota vijayanagara history at length in one of the future episodes with this we end the first episode of season 1 and in the next episode we will delve into the reasons for this infamous defeat we will also explore the fascinating character ramaraya and the entire backstory of events that lead to this epic battle i sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode learned something out of it and are excited to listen to the next episode which i promise is a gripping political drama in its own right If you liked what you heard so far hit that subscribe button rate the show and leave a review If you would like me to explore any specific aspects of Vijayanagara please do write them in the reviews or you can post them on the show's twitter handle Once again thank you for listening Itihasa podcast You were listening to Narendra Vikram and see you soon in the next episode